This is an Area Code podcast. You're listening to The Table of Malcontents, where Aaron Armstrong, Dave Schrader, and Barnabas Piper talk about the books they love and a few they really don't to help you be a better reader. Books and podcasts are always best with a great cup of coffee. That's why we've partnered with Ligaris Roasters to create the Table of Malcontents blend. And guys, it's delicious. A smooth Brazilian roast that will make your heart happy. Head over to LagarisRoasters.com to order a bag or 12 today. Hey everybody, welcome to today's episode of Table of Malcontents. I'm Aaron and with me as always is Barnabas. Um, And we have no Dave today. No Dave. No Dave. Forty Dave has left the building. Yeah, he did to go take his afternoon nap. (laughs) Well, hopefully his cat doesn't pee on him. You know, hopefully it does, and he learns a lesson (laughs) about owning awful beasts. Oh, it's happened multiple times now, and he still hasn't learned this lesson. Sure, what is what is the definition of insane? Trying the same thing Mm -hmm. over and over again and hoping for different results? Yeah, something like that. So like owning a cat repeatedly and hoping that it's not awful this time? That is insanity. Yep, there you go. There you go. There you go. All right, but uh you know it's not insane. Lots of things are not insane. I'm not sure what you're thinking of. You know, I'm not sure either. That was a terrible segue. <laughs> I was on like, my part. Um, where are we going with this? <laughs> I can't even say that the reviews that we get from our uh, our listeners are not insane because sometimes they're kind of crazy. Oh, fun! What have we got that's kind of crazy? Okay, this is I'm one. Intrigued. This one is called Cats and Dogs. This is the best podcast on animal advice out there. I have a 14-year-old Shih Tzu who is basically a cat, I guess because he's smaller than a mailbox. I think he sneaks out at night to attend a hookah bar because he sounds like a 90-year-old smoker. Also, my kids recently got a dwarf hamster. uh, I've always wanted to give my pets first and last names after 80s rock band frontmen, so it was either going to be Sammy Hagar or Brett Michaels as the hamster's name, but there was a coup. We ended up naming the dwarf hamster Gimli from Lord of the Rings. That was the review? That was the review. Well, okay. Very important question. Was it five stars? It absolutely was then it's five a per- stars. Then it's a perfect review. Yes. Yeah, so thank you, um, random person. Uh, Does random person have a name or is that the name they gave? No. Um, uh, N-K-Y-A-J-R. <laughs> All right. All right. So good for you. Thank Gim- you for that. I feel like Gimli is a name that deserves to be dignified with a better pet than a dwarf hamster. I think so. Not a I mean, cat, like, though. Even like, even like a big Angora bunny would be a better Gimli than a hamster. Granted, generally speaking, I think animals that reside in cages are not pets but decorations that poop. So yes. I'm not lacking in opinions. No, clearly not. Clearly not. I would have um, preferred Sammy Hagar for Sammy dwarf Hagar hamster. Would be a, Sammy Hagar would be a would be a good one, or maybe um, Sammy Hamster. <laughs> even even just Meatloaf. Meatloaf would Meatloaf be a great would be name. A fantastic name. Now, would it be best for a hamster or just any pet? I think small pet. Small pet. Yeah. 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 It's ironic. Um, maybe you know, not a pot belly pig. Th- <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, they're all snack-sized, so. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. See, this is why I don't have pets. There's, there's you The know. best part about pets, well, two best parts. One is they make children happy. Two is naming them. Mm. If you only, if you could name them repeatedly and be like, I'm bored with that name. Kind of like rearranging <laughs> furniture or, yeah. you know, changing your screensaver or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, to be fair, I'm not really sure that that most animals actually recognize the the names that we give them anyway. You can say that it's the tone. Well, good pets do. Oh, okay. Like dogs. Dogs oh. learn their names. Okay. All like right. if I if I tried to call my dog by calling it, you know, Brett Michaels, mm-hmm. she would not come. What do you call your dog? Her name is Dolly. Oh, there you go. As in Dolly Parton, but I don't that she doesn't have a last name. She's not Dolly Parton. She's just Dolly. There you go. In true Nashville, Tennessee fashion. She well, needed to have a, a Nashville name. There you go. There you go. Well, I appreciate you going East Tennessee on that. Well, I mean, West Tennessee would have been what, like Elvis? Uh, yeah, something like that. Something There's a lot like of that. blues people over there, too. I wasn't familiar with a lot of female musicians from that side of the state, so I went with Dolly. That's, that's probably well, a good choice. I mean, the other options are what, like Reba? I think she's from Oklahoma, though. So. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. That doesn't work. All right. Enough, so enough about this. Enough about that. Let's uh, let's talk about let's talk about something fun instead. Uh, let's talk about books because books are fun, and that's why we're here. Absolutely, that's what this podcast is about. Eventually, and Dave's not here, so I can crap all over World War II books <laughs> and Ron Chernow's books and whatever I want. He can't say anything. Well, there you go. Although that's... I don't think that's what we're here to talk about today. No, we're not gonna. No, today's today's episode is not titled "Let's Crap on Dave." So <laughs> it's the subtext. <laughs> Of every episode. <laughs> That's true. That's true. But do we really want the text at 630 in the morning again? Um, I I put my phone on do not disturb and Dave's not in my favorites. So I don't see those until later anyway. Oh, there you go. There you go. I'm, Sorry, I, you know, Dave. He might cry to cry himself to sleep after he. Uh... After his nap. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, what happens when 40 Dave becomes 41 Dave? I think he remains basically the same until he's like 50, Dave. Oh, okay. There we go. Hopefully we're not still doing this podcast at that point. <laughs> this particular episode, you mean? Yeah. Definitely yeah, not yeah, that, yeah. but even just this particular podcast, I feel like we should all graduate to something at some point. Hmm. Sorry, I guess. Sorry, listeners. You're just a stepping stone. That's right. Eventually this will come to an end, and both this episode and this series, but uh, we're not there yet. Instead, we've got the two writers in the room today. So we decided that we would talk about something interesting, which is books that made us want to write. So not books about writing. Not books <clears> about <throat> writing, because there's plenty of those books. And we've, we've talked about those in a few yeah. other places. The William Zinsers and Stephen King's and Anne Lamott's. You know, and, all the books that are either yeah. var- that are varying degrees of helpful. Um, yeah. You know. Strunk um, and White. Yeah, and exactly. so forth. Exactly. So you can go back and you should go back and listen to those. You should go back and listen to all of our episodes. Absolutely. Twice. Sequentially. And you can see how it's gotten better, maybe, over the years. You, you'll see something. Yeah. I'm not sure what you'll see, but you'll, something. <laughs> you'll see the ups and downs. And, uh, <laughs> and that's a, okay. It's been a long road. That's right. That's right. This is a roller coaster ride. So, But, uh, no, we're talking about the books that, that – made us say I want to do that. Yes. And uh, and so that's kind or, of a or I want to do better than that. Correct. And that's actually an important thing. Um, certainly that's a piece of what motivated me with writing my first book. Yeah, it's, it is it is striking how reading mediocre books gave me confidence to think I can do this. Mhm. Reading reading brilliantly written books made me wish I could do that. To this day, I still have, you know, when I read, you know, a C.S. Lewis essay or something like that, I go, I don't understand how he just did what he did. Mm-hmm. Like, I followed it. It all made sense. 
but I don't know how he did that. Um, so that's an aspiration. But then, then you go read like your average Christian book by your average megachurch pastor, and I think I can do better than him. Or, or better than his ghostwriter. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> or better than the ghostwriter who was overpaid to do mediocre work. Yep. Um, but so you, you kind of have to have both. Yeah. If all you read is the best books, you might be inspired to write, but you'll probably it'll be, it would be like it'd be like training with an Olympic athlete. Mm-hmm. Like I want to be as good as them. I will never be as good as them. No. Whereas if you're training with your peers. And looking and then, and then tracking yourself according to the greats, you can see progress. You can also look around and see, oh, I can absolutely do this, or at least I can do it better than that person can. Sure. And I think comparison is valuable in writing in that way, not in a egotistical way, but in a like a measuring stick way. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we all inevitably do anyway. Like we're always comparing ourselves to someone, whether it's you know, whether it's someone who's better than us that we aspire to be like or someone that we're just um, or that we're about on the same level of, but we just want to be better than for bragging rights, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yes. I mean, I aspire to I aspire to sell at least one more copy of my next book than 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 you've sold of your last one. So, uh, well, you're, I'm certain your next one will sell more than my last one <laughs> and my last one. Listeners, if you would all buy like 72 copies of The Curious Christian, maybe that would not be a true statement. But so far, it hasn't sold that well, which is frustrating because it's the one I think I I think it's the it is the best one you've I done don't know so if far. It's the, I don't know how to gauge best. I was the most proud of it. Well, but that's beside the point. So here here's my giving you unsolicited praise. Oh, well, thank you. You're welcome. You know, this is a this is a life-giving show for us anyway, at least till Dave gets back. That's right. But uh, <laughs> then it's a life-taking show from Dave. <laughs> that's right. That's right. What I saw in the in uh, the pastor's kid was really just more the the processing of, you know, being you know, being a Christian famous pastor's kid. Mm-hmm. Um, Christian famous. It's, Christian famous. That's the right yeah. category. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's the wrong so, category because it shouldn't exist, a, but it's, correct. it's the correct category. Correct. So, which which ultimately just means that you had the normal pastor's kid experience amplified mm-hmm. by, you know, to the nth degree. But as you went forward with the different books you wrote, particularly Curious Christian, what I liked about that was it was something that that I, as a non-pastor's kid, like having no background, anything mm-hmm. like that, but just I'm in the same kind of place that the same kind of mindset of what, like, how do I explore and enjoy the world and and enjoy all that God has made and, and um, embrace that as a good part of the good and necessary part of the Christian life. There's just something that's more helpful in that right. for more people than um, than the pastor's kid book, which was good. So it wasn't bad, but it's just well, good. I'm glad it wasn't bad. Um, yeah, it was better. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think again, I, when I, when I finished the curious Christian, I was the most sort of proud of the work that mm-hmm. I had done on that one. Felt like I had, I had accomplished something, I don't, not necessarily more significant, but it was more challenging to me. The pastor's sure. kid was challenging in a personal sense. This one was challenging in a like in a crafting the book sense. Mm-hmm. Apparently, not the same number of readers agreed, but that's well, okay. Well, oh well, it'll be all right. So, what are books that you remember either growing up or like in the you know in your adult? Because obviously, you're still writing, so Absolutely. you know the, the motivating 
factor continues. What are books that stand out to you as ones that you read it and you go, Lord, I need to do what that person does? So that happened more as it's an interesting thing for me. It was is a different kind of kind of space. So um, for me, a lot like my writing aspirations started in comic books. So that's what I wanted to. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to mm-hmm. actually write and draw comic books. And do and you draw? I do. Still or did? Um, more did than do, but I st- but I occasionally do it. I mean, drawing will get you through a lot of boring meetings. And that's usually I made, when I do. I made it. it all the way through high school drawing. Me too. Because I too. certainly wasn't paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that in college. Um, yeah, then too. Yeah, That's but true. I mean, I kind of went for. I, I did graphic design for college, so I kind of did art. <laughs> <laughs> Things not to admit to, because now they're going to be like, "Oh, why don't you do your own graphic design for your the ads you're in charge of, Aaron?" I already do some of it, so. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. So you started with so, comic books. So yeah. So but that was what I wanted to do because I because I mean I've been reading those since I was three and right. um you know both like you know kind of your standard superhero genre stuff and then um you know as I got into high school and college you know branching out into like seeing what different types of storytelling were possible in right. in that medium. Um, and that was and that was really cool because it was like okay I this is really versatile this is interesting to me how how do I do this well and seeing that a lot really aren't that well written but some are incredibly well written um, and very thoughtful and very interesting um, approaches to approaches to something that's stylistically just it's just unlike anything else right and so I wanted to do that and. Yeah. Um, actually, my first published piece of work ever was a comic book. So, uh, uh, where was that published? That was an indie book called The Apartments Anthology that was released in two thousand and one, I think. Okay. So it's you can literally find it nowhere, and that's okay. <laughs> and that's exactly where it should be found. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. It was not the best, right? <laughs> but it was a start, and. Um, and, and so that was just some of the stuff that, that I got to do, but, um, but novels were like, I always loved reading, just reading novels. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, one of the ones that I remember just adoring, just, just because of the way that it was, the, was written was, uh, the amazing adventures of Cavalier and Clay by Michael, uh, Chabon. Um, it was just beautifully written book. Is he a novelist as well? I mean, that's, so Yeah. That's primarily what he does. Yeah. Um, and now, but he's also like branching out and writing TV and stuff like yeah. this too. So, um, okay. so he's kind of all over the place, but um, he's an interesting, interesting writer. Okay. I've never read any of his stuff. You should. You, you'd, you'd like some of it. Um, not all of it. But. I mean, almost any author who's prolific is hit and miss. Oh, totally. Totally. But, uh, but yeah, it's. He does a great job of bringing you inside the world of yeah. of the characters and and making it feel real and you feel with the characters what they're feeling. Yeah. It's it's funny to hear not funny like haha just different than me. So you you were drawn to comic books. I was never a comic book reader. Both of us grew up reading fiction though. Mm-hmm. 
I've always noticed standout fiction writing. Mm-hmm. I mean, even as a kid, like I knew the Hardy Boys books were not good writing. Yeah. They were just fun. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. And then you go read, like there was a distinct difference between them and like Tolkien or whatever. Totally. You're like, totally. oh, one of these is a master. The other is not even a real person. It's like. It's a, it's, it's a computer program yeah, at this point, like I it, think. It's just, so. it's like a, a Mad Libs fictional story about teenagers um yeah, we should you know we should actually try to mad lib a story oh we could totally on do the it. on the show with dave yeah we could we could totally All do right, that let's do that but so but none of those things made me want to write right i just even reading great great stories i always just love to sort of revel in the great great story mm-hmm. it wasn't until i got into christian nonfiction writing that i realized well, A, I think that's more where I live. Mm-hmm. So not necessarily Christian nonfiction, like sermony kinds of books. Like the books that I've done are one kind of Christian nonfiction. But yes. even just Christian, a Christian perspective on whether it's culture or sports or art. I mean, for four years I wrote for World's website and it was sports stuff mm-hmm. from a Christian perspective. And just realizing there was a massive gap between the people who did that well and and those who who did it poorly, right? Um, and and those who did it in a very academic and dry way, and those who did it in a compelling way. So out of college, when I was in college, is when I realized I could write better than my peers for the most part. Mm-hmm. You know, I went through this writing class, and we had to do peer reviews. And after about two classes, I just quit going. Yeah, <laughs> I told the professor, <laughs> I was like. I was like, I'll do the work that it takes to pass this class, but I don't want to read any more of these papers, mm-hmm. which was a super snotty, terrible attitude by me. But that's a bold I, choice. I was a junior in a class full of freshmen because I had tried to petition my way out of the class repeatedly. Ah. And so they ended up being like, fine, you don't have to take the full semester. You have to take the quarter class. I was fine. Right. And after two classes, I was like, I'm not even taking the quarter class. Yeah. I will write the papers and I will skip the classes kids listening at home don't be like me just go to class do the work be a good participant have a better attitude (laughs) but anyway i recognized that that i could just write better than my peers could Mm -hmm. but i even then i never wrote for publication for probably six years after that Mm -hmm. yeah because 20 i think 2011 or so is when i started writing like i started my website and started writing then um but it, that was after spending a few years in Christian publishing and starting to, again, see that there are books published by people who are not good writers. Yeah. And then books that are published by people who you go, oh, like I remember the first time I read a Paul Tripp book. And I, I was like, he's saying the same things as other people message-wise, mm-hmm. but he does it with a poetic flair. Yes. I remember reading Tempted and Tried by Russell Moore mm-hmm. and going – this is – I thought it was a book about sin and temptation, which it is. Yes. That's the whole point. But it's it's not just what it's about. It's how it's about it. Yes. And I was like, that's different. Yeah. But, and, but you're hitting on something that's really Im- important there, and I don't know that we do a good job in our lane of publishing, um, just the broad category, of really getting that. I don't even think people value it. Not not everybody. Yeah. I think I think a lot of people don't. Like when right. you go read Gospel Coalition articles, you go read um, Desiring God articles, mm-hmm. you go read. I mean, there's any number of websites. 
a, a huge portion of those are just they're it's like reading a theological math equation right this is a proof of something not a invitation into feeling something or a well-crafted thing that makes the reading experience pleasurable. Right. Like, I think if we write something, we should write it in such a way that you're making the true point in a way that people enjoy mm -hmm. reading because enjoyment makes it more memorable mm -hmm. and it makes it more palatable, which means it's more persuasive. Yep. And I don't think that most people care. They're like, no, I'm just saying true things. I'm like, no, nah, that's just like blunt force trauma to my brain. Right. And – I mean, that's been a consistent frustration that I've had with a number of folks. Like, I'll get people who submit stuff for Gospel Project's website. Mm -hmm. And um, I really appreciate them doing it, well, because I've asked them. Yeah. Um, but then it's there's always a there's always a, this massaging process of, okay, I what you're saying, the, the meat is there, but how do we make this – how do we get the flow right? How do we – how do we make sure that this is – really truly an enjoyable read and not just communicating and an, and this an information. And an editor can't make that happen. They can soften the edges a little bit, but you you either write that way or you don't. That's true. I, and I think Stephen King in his book on writing talks about, he's like, there are bad writers, okay writers, good writers, and great writers. He's like, nobody goes from good to great. The great ones are just born. Mm -hmm. Very few bad ones go from bad to okay because mm -hmm. the bad ones either just don't care or don't have the ability. Yep. Most people can go from okay to good with the right amount of work, mm -hmm. but that's the work that most people don't want to put in, or they're just trying to be again trying to be prolific instead of instead of being good. great, right? Yeah, and and so yeah, I think it it always stood out to me. I mean, I think the first time I read Russ Ramsey's stuff, so mm -hmm. friend of the podcast, guest on the podcast, mm -hmm. so read his book. Um, is it Behold the King? Yes. No. Um, no. Nope. The nope, Christmas nope. one. Um, Dang it. Oh, how did they he... changed it changed titles recently and yeah, I can't remember the name. Yeah, they split it up into into a couple different books, well, he, right? So No, the Advent one stayed the same. It okay. was Andrew Peterson did a it was uh, Behold the Lamb. Behold the Lamb. Yeah. Behold the King was was the the Lent one. Um so I read the Behold the Lamb and I just thought this this is a brilliant mm -hmm. uh exploration of a familiar text. Mhm. Mm and he did it in a way that that was freshly written. And so reading things like that, when I read articles by like Lori Wilbert, yes, formerly Lori Ferguson, yes, um, she writes about often very commonplace aspects of life, whether it's grief or sadness or singleness or marriage or whatever, just these things that are part of life. Which there's a billion articles on those, but again, she the way she writes folds the reader into the article better. Right. And, and so those are contemporary writers, peers of mine, mm -hmm. who I look at and I go, I want to learn how to write like them. Right. They, they're they great writers. Yes. Um, Scarlett Hiltabidal, who listens to this, also is on here. The way that she writes, just she uses humor in her writing better than most Christian writers that I'm aware of by, by a fair margin because mm -hmm. humor tends to be kind of – Stilted. Well, that's the thing, and right? And so she she does it in a way that again makes you, it just makes the reading experience enjoyable, yeah. as opposed to sort of like set up set up punchline slapsticky kind of you know Big Bang Theory humor. That's an insult to the worst TV show uh, of recent years. But um, <laughs> that I mean, so yeah. those are writers currently who, when I read their stuff, whether it's an article or or, or a full book, mm -hmm. I just go that. 
I want to incorporate what they do into right. my work. How do, how do they use humor? How do they use narrative? How do they use analogy? How do, what's their tone? What's mm -hmm. their t And not to emulate them, but just to learn pieces of the craft. Right, right. Who, who do you look at that, that, that are your, con oh, your contemporaries? Man. Gosh, in any in any just across the, contemporaries. Yeah. Oh man. I mean, contemporaries mean okay. writing today. So yeah, it, yeah, it can be yeah. a super famous person. I listed people I sure. know. That's a, you sure. Know, but I mean, I mean, definitely. Like, I mean, I love like anytime anytime Lori posts a blog post, I'm I'm all over it. When now these days she's basically using Instagram as her blog, and um and I enjoy that too. See, I it's enjoy, a hard place to read. But I enjoy that less because of the format, not yeah. because of the writing. Right, but I mean, I'll put up with the format. Right. To to get the writing. Right. Um, Russ is definitely another another one of those those guys that I just dig how he writes and how he uses words. Yeah. Um, and he writes about stuff that I don't care about at all, and I read it. So he right. He he would do articles about. He loves art. Yep. Like art history, the stories behind paintings, mm -hmm. etc. So he used to do. He did a whole series of social media posts, but he used to do articles on that stuff, mm -hmm. and I don't care at all. Yeah. About like it's just not a hobby of mine. But I would read it because he found it so interesting and wrote it so well that it was it was captivating. Right. Um, you know, going uh, going a, you know kind of a little bit all over the place. There's a uh, comic book writer named Tom King who I just I love the way he puts together a story. Yeah. He it's it's very it's very thoughtful. It's very interesting what he does. I know you don't like you don't care for his work, but I really like Neil Gaiman's work. Um, it's it's again, it's I don't. It's just different. I dislike Neil Gaiman's stories. Okay, not his, not his writing. Right. So when he writes a story that I like, so he did um, Norse mythology, mm -hmm. which I is fantastic. It. I loved it. Yeah. It's it's just that it his when he imagines a story, mm -hmm. uh, my imagination does not jive with his, and I don't dig the stories. It's, right. So it's not his writing; it's the it's the stories themselves. Got it. Got Which it. I don't. I guess that's not really a compliment, but it is to say that <laughs> it's I. It's a bit I, of a backhanded one. But so. I mean, it, it 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 it's not an insult of his work right. as a writer. You recognize the quality. It's right. just what he writes doesn't click with you. Yeah, yeah, and that's fair. Brad uh, Brad Meltzer is. Uh, he is a he's a novelist who does a lot of action thriller or mystery thriller kind of kind of novels, um, mm -hmm. and his stuff is just it's just really well told, really well executed, very enjoyable. Um, Charles Soule is another guy like that who is both who ha is a novelist, comic book writer, and a lawyer. Hmm. Bold. <laughs> so. Um, so stuff like that. It's, yeah. it's just there are people that, and there, and some of them, it's like, there are even people that I can look at their work and it's like, there are people who are objectively better than them from a skill set yeah. wise, but I just like how they write and like, they know how to use a, how to hook you in and when that's and, yeah, and, and do and all this kind of stuff, which is, I mean, that's indicative of how important it is to, to try to read more widely mm -hmm. because if I recommend you a book, I mean, we've shared, we all share books on this podcast all the time. And occasionally there's one that we all just love. Yes. Oftentimes there's one that Aaron loves and Barnabas does not, or Barnabas loves and Aaron does not. And I don't think that's indicative of either of us having poor taste as much as just 
we connected with these things differently. You're going to you're going to read something and be kind of mesmerized by it that I would read and go, I don't get it. Right. Exactly. I don't care. Yeah. And that's fine. Um, But but when it comes to moving us to writing, I think that's even more important. Have you what do you think of I mean, do do you ever imitate writers or what is it about writing that you try to sort of fold into your own work? Is it an imitation of something or is it a. Do you study how they do turns of phrase? Is it plot devices? Like, I mean, obviously there's yeah. a lot going on genre-wise there too. Yeah, what do yeah. you what do you see? What are you looking for? And then how? What do you do with it? So I would say early on, um, like really early on, there would be a lot more derivative kind of kind of writing, a little bit more like trying to imitate mm-hmm. versus trying to figure out what how I want to say something. Um, and that's actually, um, just as a side note, that's one of the beautiful things about about blogging as an option for writers. Right. Is it, it's a, even though it's a public, it can be a, a very public space to do it. It's also a really safe space to figure out what your voice should be. It's especially safe because most blogs don't ever get read by anybody. Well, that's true. That's Low true. risk. Nah, that's true. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but it is one of those things, right, that is – is just like everyone kind of starts off ripping off people a little bit. And um, the question is, can you move past that? And how quickly can you move past that? I mean, you see it with preachers too, and especially young, you know, young pastors who are always trying to sound like, you know, whoever is their, their preacher hero. And um, again, preacher hero should not exist, but they do. It's true. But it, but it is one of those things, right? That it's like they, they recognize that that there are these things that appeal to them, and so they try to incorporate that into their cadences. And writer, and we all do this as writers too. But um, but then we also get to quickly realize whether or not those things actually feel right coming from us. Do you think people do that because it appeals to them, or do you think they do it because they just go, "Oh, that's what good writing is," so I will write or preach or whatever exactly yeah. like so and so. I'm going to say yes. Okay. So it's a little bit of both um, for some people, and and I think this is where you know you talked about that spectrum of bad writers, okay writers, good writers, great writers. Right. That's kind of that differentiating point between um, an okay writer who can go to good. Yeah. Um, or potentially even right up toward great. I think you can I think you can get there. Like you can you can learn like if you've got the if you've got the if you've got the gifts for it, you either start off you might start off okay and eventually get there. Um, but they're being great or they're being good. Great. I disagree. I don't know. I mean, I I think, I think this falls on the, in the argument of like, you can be anything you want to be. And I think for some, I just think it's not true. Well, and and I'm right there with you. And I mean, I would put you you and me in the category of like, we're, we're, we're never going to be great writers. No. No. Even even if we were full time writers and all we did was work on the craft, we might have great paragraphs right. or great chapters. Maybe maybe something. Like I would say we're good writers. I I sure hope so. That's, I mean, I mean, I'm trying to be. And you know, when we had when we had Karen on mm-hmm. a few episodes ago, I appreciated so much her candor about like I think I'm a good writer. Like I think I'm good at this. Yes, I found that encouraging because I was like, it's. Especially in the Christian world, it's so much easier to just be like, 
you know, just trying to use my gifts or whatever, instead of being yeah. like, I think I'm actually good at this. Right. And it, um, it's false humility to say, oh, I'm just, like that statement you made, oh, I'm just trying to use it. Downplaying I mean, it's, is. It <sighs> might be true, but yeah, it's. it's but it's, it, it's not. There's it's not. Ac- there's accuracy in just yeah. saying like, yes, I think we are good writers. Yeah. I don't think we'll ever be great writers. Um, just again, just because mm-hmm. I think. There's a reason why certain works just transcend. Yes. And that – I mean and notice I, all the people I've listed as people who made me want to write are not the transcendent ones. Mm-hmm. I love reading transcendent writers. We talk about them all the time in terms of novelists. So we yeah. think Lifehanger is the best. We think right. Frederick Bachman is the best. You know, Honestly, I think C.S. Lewis is as a writer – Something that that Christian writers and thinkers can aspire to, because stylistically yeah. he is not transcendent. Yes, what was transcendent about him is that he knew all, like every classic work of literature, mm-hmm. multiple languages, and was an apologist and a theologian. Right, and so I mean, he was, was just, a genius. There was a, there was a sort of an omniglot factor there yeah. that that was that m- most of us will never achieve. Yeah. Um, so he could draw on those different things. Chesterton, I think, is more on the transcendent side of things. I would agree with that. Just his weaving together of wit and argument. Right. But again, I read that and I go, I don't know that I could I ever yeah, do I that. I don't think I could do that. But it's worth studying right. his how he uses humor. Right. How he insults people. Yes. And I don't say that tongue in cheek. Like there's a way that he insults people that is not demeaning. Mm-hmm. It's more like as if they were in the room and he's throwing his arm around them, insulting their perspective and then giving them a chance to speak kind of thing. There's there's just a there's sort of a good-natured camaraderie to it. Yeah. Which is very hard to do in print cuz usually what you intend to come through doesn't come through when you're poking fun or making jokes. Correct. Um, I'm trying to think of other just Christian writers who I don't, and, and, hmm. and, and also just thinking about the question that I asked you about how do you use this stuff, I don't ever right. imitate right. on purpose. Well, and, and yeah. I'm sure I sound like somebody at some point. Right. But to me, imitation is. The sincerest form of plagiarism? Well, no, it's, it's the sincerest form <laughs> of, it's the sincerest form of an insecure writer. Right. I've never wanted to sound like anybody else. Right. I haven't intentionally tried to sound different, mm-hmm. but just, but more look at it and go, how did they, like, how does Malcolm Gladwell create an, a, a nonfiction narrative? Mm-hmm. I don't always agree with how, like, the points he ends up at or doesn't end up at, because sometimes he misses a point altogether. Yeah. But he can write a compelling 300 page narrative about two or three plot lines around various data points. Mm-hmm. Like, that's fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. Or the authors that I've mentioned previously, like how, what, what, what is their tone? How are they doing this? How are they? Sometimes they break rules and it works really well. Like yeah. they use way too many adjectives. Yep. Okay. Well, sometimes that works. Why does it work sometimes and other times? Nicholas Sparks. It sounds like the worst <laughs> trash writing ever. That's a preview for a future episode, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Um, Good plugging. Good job. Yeah. So those kinds of things are. It's not so much imitation as it is learning from other people's skills, mm-hmm. I think. I don't know. Is yeah. that is that kind of how you treat it? Generally, yeah. Like I if anything, I go out of my way to not sound like someone that I that I like and respect. 
like so mutual friend Jared Wilson. Mm-hmm. He is he's another objectively good Christian writer. Yeah, largely because he r- reads so much. Well, he reads and, a ton and he writes a ton, so yeah. he's getting. So he's there's a lot of there's a lot of input and a lot of and a lot of practice and output. Right, and so only he can sound like him. Ray Ortland, he he is nine. He's, he's his own kind of something. Yeah, he's he's unique. He would be a time will tell how well his. I mean, Ray's biggest weakness mm-hmm. is not his writing, but his publicity. Right. Meaning, Ray doesn't promote Ray. Correct. One of the many reasons that he's wonderful. Yes. His work deserves greater respect than it has, and I. Time will tell, but I think it will it will fall more into that great writer transcendent category mm-hmm. because of the way that he can very simply, um, accessibly invite people into profound truths while also smacking them in the face mm-hmm. as needed in, yep. sort of in a corrective fashion and hugging them like the, his. So his commentary on Proverbs, I say commentary, really it's sort of a just a look at the themes of wisdom in Proverbs. So it's commentary-ish, but much anybody could read it. Yeah. It's not yeah. it's not it's a technical thing. The Proverbs one is short. Is that his, short? his Isaiah oh. one is enormous. Yes, that but said, still so is Isaiah. So beautiful. Yeah. And and his book, you know, The Gospel is the same way mm-hmm. about gospel culture and church. Yeah, he's he's one that I look at and I go. I don't think I can do what he does. <laughs> and even trying to, and if I was to, and if I was to try to do what he does, all I would do is imitate. I think mm-hmm. that's the difference between somebody who's helping you be a better writer mm-hmm. and somebody who's at that category you can't do. Like, right. so for the basketball fans who are listening, Kobe Bryant was a great basketball player, but when he came into the league, you could tell he was just imitating Michael Jordan. Sure, mannerisms, voice, etc., and. And and it was it always was a little bit annoying. Right. It was when Kobe just played like Kobe that he was he was at his best. And so it, there's sort of that aspect of it is like I I want to look at people who are good and say how I want to learn how they do the things that they do that are that are better than I do. Right. And then I look at somebody like Ray and I'm like I don't want to learn how Ray does what Ray does. I just want to read what Ray does. Right. And I think I think it inf- it'll influence my mind and it'll influence creativity. I think the other aspect is I think reading as a writer is more formative on a cumulative basis mm-hmm. than a case by case basis. I'd agree with that. So rather than studying how, it's more just sort of the the blend of flavors you get by reading all the time. You're listening to The Table of Malcontents, where Aaron Armstrong, Dave Schrader, and Barnabas Piper talk about the books they love and a few they really don't to help you be a better reader. Books and podcasts are always best with a great cup of coffee. That's why we've partnered with Ligaris Roasters to create the Table of Malcontents blend. And guys, it's delicious. A smooth Brazilian roast that will make your heart happy. Head over to LigarisRoasters.com to order a bag or 12 today. Hey everybody, welcome to today's episode of Table of Malcontents. I'm Aaron, and with me as always is Barnabas, um, and we have no Dave today. No Dave. No Dave. 40 Dave has left the building. Yeah, he did to go take his afternoon nap. (laughs) Well, hopefully his cat doesn't pee on him. (laughs) You know, hopefully it does, and he learns a lesson (laughs) about owning awful beasts. 
Well, it's happened multiple times now, and he still hasn't learned this lesson. Sure, what is what is the definition of insane? Trying the same thing mm-hmm. over and over again and okay. hoping for different results? Yeah, something like that. So like owning a cat repeatedly and hoping that it's not awful this time? That is insanity. Yep, there you go. There you go. There you go. All right, but uh, you know it's not insane? Lots of things are not insane. I'm not sure what you're thinking of. You know, I'm not sure either. That was a terrible segue. <laughs> I was like, um, where are we going with this? <laughs> I can't even say that the reviews that we get from our uh, our listeners are not insane because sometimes they're kind of crazy. Oh, fun. What have we got that's kind of crazy? Okay, this is I'm one. Intrigued. This one is called Cats and Dogs. This is the best podcast on animal advice out there. I have a 14-year-old Shih Tzu who is basically a cat, I guess because he's smaller than a mailbox. I think he sneaks out at night to attend a hookah bar because he sounds like a 90-year-old smoker. Also, my kids recently got a dwarf hamster. uh, I've always wanted to give my pets first and last names after 80s rock band frontmen, so it was either going to be Sammy Hagar or Brett Michaels as the hamster's name, but there was a coup. We ended up naming the dwarf hamster Gimli from Lord of the Rings. That was the review? That was the review. Okay. Very important question. Was it five stars? It absolutely was five stars. Then it's a perfect review. Yes. So thank you, um, random person. Uh, Does random person have a name or is that the name they gave? No. um, uh, (laughs) N-K-Y-A-J-R. All right. All right. So good for you. Thank you for that. I feel like Gimli is a name that deserves to be dignified with a better pet than a dwarf hamster. I think so. Not a I mean, cat, like, though. Even like, even like a big Angora bunny would be a better Gimli than a hamster. Granted, generally speaking, I think animals that reside in cages are not pets but decorations that poop. So yes. I'm not lacking in opinions. No, clearly not. Clearly not. I would have um, preferred Sammy Hagar for Sammy dwarf Hagar hamster. Would be a, Sammy Hagar would be a would be a good one, or maybe um, Sammy Hamster. <laughs> even even just Meatloaf. Meatloaf would Meatloaf be a great would be name. A fantastic name. Now, would it be best for a hamster or just any pet? I think small pet. Small pet. Yeah. 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 It's ironic. Um, maybe know, not a pot belly pig. The, <laughs> I was going to say, they're all snack-sized, so. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. See, this is why I don't have pets. There's, there's you The know. best part about pets, well, two best parts. One is they make children happy. Two is naming them. Mm. If you only, if you could name them repeatedly and be like, I'm bored with that name. Kind of like rearranging <laughs> furniture or, yeah. you know, changing your screensaver or whatever. Yeah. You, well, well, to be fair, I'm not really sure that that most animals actually recognize the the names that we give them anyway. You can say that it's the tone. Well, good pets do. Oh, okay. Like dogs. Dogs oh. learn their names. Okay. All like right. if I if I tried to call my dog by calling it, you know, Brett Michaels, mm-hmm. she would not come. What do you call your dog? Her name is Dolly. Oh, there you go. As in Dolly Parton, but I don't. That she doesn't have a last name. She's not Dolly Parton. She's just Dolly. There you go. In true Nashville, Tennessee fashion. She well, needed to have a, a Nashville name. There you go. There you go. Well, I appreciate you going East Tennessee on that. Well, I mean, West Tennessee would have been what, like Elvis? Uh, yeah, something like that. Something There's a lot like of that. blues people over there, too. I wasn't familiar with a lot of female musicians from that side of the state, so I went with Dolly. That's, that's probably a good choice. I mean, the other options are what, like Reba? I think she's from Oklahoma, though. So. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. That doesn't work. 
All right. Enough, so enough about this. Enough about that. Let's uh, let's talk about let's talk about something fun instead. Uh, let's talk about books because books are fun, and that's why we're here. Absolutely, that's what this podcast is about. Eventually, and Dave's not here, so I can crap all over World War II books <laughs> and Ron Chernow's books and whatever I want. He can't say anything. Well, there you go. Although that's... I don't think that's what we're here to talk about today. No, we're not gonna. No, today's today's episode is not titled "Let's Crap on Dave." So <laughs> it's the subtext. <laughs> Of every episode. <laughs> That's true. That's true. But do we really want the text at 6.30 in the morning again? Um, I I put my phone on Do Not Disturb, and Dave's not in my favorites, so I don't see those until later anyway. Oh, there you go. There you go. I'm, Sorry, you know, Dave. He might cry to cry himself to sleep after he... Uh... After his nap. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, what happens when 40 Dave becomes 41 Dave? I think he remains basically the same until he's like 50, Dave. Oh, okay. There we go. Hopefully we're not still doing this podcast at that point. <laughs> this particular episode, you mean? Yeah. Definitely yeah, not yeah, that, yeah. but even just this particular podcast. I feel like we should all graduate to something at some point. Hmm. Sorry. I guess. Sorry, listeners. You're just a stepping stone. That's right. Eventually this will come to an end, and both this episode and this series, but uh, we're not there yet. Instead, we've got the two writers in the room today. So we decided that we would talk about something interesting, which is books that made us want to write. So not books about writing. Not books <clears throat> about writing, because there's plenty of those books. And we've, we've talked about those in a few yeah. other places. The William Zinzers and Stephen King's and Anne Lamott's. You know, and, all the books that are either yeah. var- that are varying degrees of helpful. Um, yeah. You know. Strunk um, and White. Yeah, and exactly. so forth. Exactly. So you can go back and you should go back and listen to those. You should go back and listen to all of our episodes. Absolutely. Twice. Sequentially. And you can see how it's gotten better, maybe, over the years. You, you'll see something. Yeah. Not sure what you'll see, but you'll, something. <laughs> you'll see the ups and downs. And, uh, <laughs> and that's a, okay. It's been a long road. That's right. That's right. This is a roller coaster ride. So, But, uh, no, we're talking about the books that, that – made us say i want to do that yes and uh and so that's kind of a or i want to do better than that correct and that's actually an important thing um certainly that's a piece of what motivated me with writing my first book yeah it it is it is striking how reading mediocre books gave me confidence to think i can do this Mm -hmm. reading reading brilliantly written books made me wish i could do that to this day, I still have, you know, when I read, you know, a C.S. Lewis essay or something like that, I go, I don't understand how he just did what he did. Mm-hmm. Like, I followed it. It all made sense. But I don't know how he did that. Um, so that's an aspiration. But then then you go read, like, your average Christian book by your average megachurch pastor, and I think, I can do better than him. Or, or better than his ghostwriter. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> or better than the ghostwriter who was overpaid to do mediocre work. Yep. Um, but so you, you kind of have to have both. Yeah. If all you read is the best books, you might be inspired to write, but you'll probably it'll be, it would be like be like training with an Olympic athlete. Mm-hmm. Like I want to be as good as them. I will never be as good as them. No. Whereas if you're training with your peers. And looking and then, and then tracking yourself according to the greats, you can see progress. You can also look around and see, oh, I can absolutely do this. Or at least I can do it better than that person can. Sure. And I think comparison is valuable in writing in that way. Not in a egotistical way, but in a like a measuring stick way. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we all inevitably do anyway. Like we're always comparing ourselves to someone, whether it's 
you know, whether it's someone who's better than us that we aspire to be like, or someone that we're just, um, or that we're about on the same level of, but we just want to be better than for bragging rights, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yes. I mean, I aspire to, I aspire to sell at least one more copy of my next book than, than, than you've sold of your last one. So, uh, well, you're, I'm certain your next one will sell more than my last one. <laughs> and my last one listeners, if you would all buy like 72 copies of the curious Christian, maybe that would not be a true statement, but so far it hasn't sold that well, which is frustrating because it's the one I think I, I think it's the, it is the best one you've I done don't know so if far. It's the, I don't know how to gauge best. I was the most proud of it, well, but that's beside the point. So here, here's my giving you unsolicited praise. Oh, well, thank you. You're welcome. You know, this is a, this is a life giving show for us anyway, at least till Dave gets back. That's right. But, uh, <laughs> then it's a life taking show from Dave. <laughs> that's right. That's right. What I saw in the, in, uh, the pastor's kid was really just more the, the processing of, you know, being, you know, being a Christian famous pastor's kid. Mm-hmm. Um, Christian famous. That's, Christian famous. That's the right yeah. category. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's the wrong so, category because it shouldn't exist, Ag- but it's correct. It's the correct category. Correct. So, which, which ultimately just means that you had the normal pastor's kid experience amplified mm-hmm. by, you know, to the nth degree. But as you went forward with the different books you wrote, particularly Curious Christian, what I liked about that was it was something that that I, as a non-pastor's kid, like having no background, anything mm-hmm. like that, but just I'm in the same kind of place that the same kind of mindset of what, like, how do I explore and enjoy the world and and enjoy all that God has made and, and um, embrace that as a good part of the good and necessary part of the Christian life. There's just something that's more helpful in that right. for more people than um, than the pastor's kid book, which was good. So it wasn't bad, but it's just well, good. I'm glad it wasn't bad. Um, yeah, it was better. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think again, I, when I, when I finished the curious Christian, I was the most sort of proud of the work that mm-hmm. I had done on that one. Felt like I had, I had accomplished something, I don't, not necessarily more significant, but it was more challenging to me. The pastor's sure. kid was challenging in a personal sense. This one was challenging in a like in a crafting the book sense. Mm-hmm. Apparently, not the same number of readers agreed, but that's well, okay. Well, oh well, it'll be all right. So, what are books that you remember either growing up or like in the you know in your adult? Because obviously, you're still writing, so Absolutely. you know the, the motivating factor continues what are books that stand out to you as ones that you read it and you go lord i need to do what that person does so that happened more as it's an interesting thing for me it was is a different kind of kind of space so um for me a lot like my writing aspirations started in comic books so that's what i wanted to that's what i wanted to do i wanted to mm-hmm. actually write and draw comic books and do and you draw? I do. Still or did? Um, more did than do, but I st- but I occasionally do it. I mean, drawing will get you through a lot of boring meetings. And that's usually I made, when I do it. I made it. it all the way through high school drawing. Me too. Because I too. certainly wasn't paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that in college. Um, yeah, then too. Yeah, that's but true. I mean, I kind of went for I, – I did graphic design for college, so I kind of did art. <laughs> <laughs> Things not to admit to, because now they're going to be like, oh, why don't you do your own graphic design for your, the ads you're in charge of, Aaron? I already do some of it. So, 
Fair enough. Yeah. So you started with so, comic books. So yeah. So but that was what I wanted to do because I because I mean I've been reading those since I was three and right. um you know both like you know kind of your standard superhero genre stuff and then um you know as I got into high school and college you know branching out into like seeing what different types of storytelling were possible in right. in that medium um and that was and that was really cool because it was like okay I this is really versatile this is interesting to me how how do I do this well and seeing that a lot really aren't that well written but some are incredibly well written um and very thoughtful and very interesting um approaches to approaches to something that's stylistically just it's just unlike anything else right and so i wanted to do that and yeah. um actually my first published piece of work ever was a comic book so uh, where was that published that was an indie book called the apartments anthology that was released in 2001 i think okay so it's you can literally find it nowhere and that's okay. And that's exactly where it should be found. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. It was not the best. Right. <laughs> but it was a start. And um and, and so that was just some of the stuff that that I got to do. But um but novels were like I always loved read just reading novels. Mm -hmm. Um I mean, one of the ones that I remember just adoring just just because of the way that it was the was written was uh, the Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay by Michael Shaban. Uh, um, it was just beautifully written book. Is he a novelist as well? I mean, yeah. that's yeah. so. Yeah, well, that's primarily what he does. Yeah, um, and now, but he's also like branching out and writing TV and stuff like yeah. this too. So, um, okay. so he's kind of all over the place. But um, he's an interesting, interesting writer. Okay, I've never read any of his stuff. You should. You you you'd like some of it. Um, not all of it. I mean, almost any author who's prolific is hit and miss. Oh, totally, totally. But, uh, but yeah, it's, he does a great job of bringing you inside the world of, yeah. of the characters and, and making it feel real and you feel with the characters what they're feeling. Yeah. It's, it's funny to hear, not funny, like, haha, just different than me. So you, you were drawn to comic books. I was never a comic book reader. Both of us grew up reading fiction though. Mm -hmm. I've always noticed standout fiction writing. Mm -hmm. I mean, even as a kid, like I knew the Hardy Boys books were not good writing. Yeah. They were just fun. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. And then you go read, like there was a distinct difference between them and like Tolkien or whatever. Totally. You're like, totally. oh, one of these is a master. The other is not even a real person. It's like. It's a, it's, it's a computer program yeah, at this point, like I think. A, it's just, so. it's like a, a Mad Libs fictional story about teenagers um Man, we should you know we should actually try to mad lib a story oh we could totally on do the it. on the show with dave yeah we could we could totally All do right, that let's do that but so but none of those things made me want to write right i just even reading great great stories i always just love to sort of revel in the great great story mm -hmm. it wasn't until i got into christian nonfiction writing that i realized well, A, I think that's more where I live. Mm -hmm. So not necessarily Christian nonfiction, like sermony kinds of books. Like the books that I've done are one kind of Christian nonfiction. But yes. even just 
Christian a Christian perspective on whether it's culture or sports or art. I mean, for four years I wrote for World's website and it was sports stuff mm-hmm. from a Christian perspective, and just realizing there was a massive gap between the people who did that well and and those who who did it poorly. Right. Um, and and those who did it in a very academic and dry way and those who did it in a compelling way. So out of college, when I was in college is when I realized I could write better than my peers for the most part. Mm-hmm. You know, I went through this writing class and we had to do peer reviews. And after about two classes, I just quit going. Yeah. <laughs> I told the professor, I was like, <laughs> I was like, I'll do the work that it takes to pass this class, but I don't want to read any more of these papers, mm-hmm. which was a super snotty, terrible attitude by me. But that was a bold I, choice. I was a junior in a class full of freshmen because I had tried to petition my way out of the class repeatedly. Ah. And so they ended up being like, fine, you don't have to take the full semester. You have to take the quarter class. And I was fine. Right. And after two classes, I was like, I'm not even taking the quarter class. Yeah. I will write the papers and I will skip the classes. Kids listening at home, don't be like me. Just go to class, do the work, be a good participant, have a better attitude. <laughs> but anyway, I recognized that that I could just write better than my peers could. But mm-hmm. I, even then, I never wrote for publication for probably six years after that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because twenty, I think 2011 or so is when I started writing. Like I started my website and started yeah. writing then. Um, but it, that was after spending a few years in Christian publishing and starting to again see that there are books published by people who are not good writers. Yeah. And then books that are published by people who you go, oh, like I remember the first time I read a Paul Tripp book and I, I was like, he's saying the same things as other people message wise, mm-hmm. but he does it with a poetic flair. Yes. I remember reading Tempted and Tried by Russell Moore mm-hmm. and going, this is, I thought it was a book about sin and temptation, which it is. Yes. That's the whole point. But it's it's not just what it's about; is how it's about it. Yes, and I was like, that's different. Yeah, but and but you're hitting on something that's really Im- important there, and I don't know that we do a good job in our lane of publishing, um, just the broad category of really getting that. I don't even think people value it. Not not everybody. Yeah. I think I think a lot of people don't. Like when right. you go read Gospel Coalition articles, you go read um, Desiring God articles, mm-hmm. you go read – I mean there's any number of websites. A, a huge portion of those are just – they're – it's like reading a theological math equation. Right. This is a proof of something, not a invitation into feeling something or a – well-crafted thing that makes the reading experience pleasurable. Right. I think if we write something, we should write it in such a way that you're making the true point in a way that people enjoy Mm -hmm. reading because enjoyment makes it more memorable Mm -hmm. and it makes it more palatable, which means it's more persuasive. Yep. And I don't think that most people care. They're like, no, I'm just saying true things. I'm like, that's just like blunt force trauma to my brain. Right. And – I mean, that's been a consistent frustration that I've had with a number of folks. Like, I'll get people who submit stuff for Gospel Project's website. Mm-hmm. And um, I really appreciate them doing it, well, because I've asked them. Yeah. Um, but then it's there's always a there's always a, this massaging process of, okay, I 
what you're saying, the, the meat is there, but how do we make this, how do we get the flow right? How do we, how do we make sure that this is really, truly an enjoyable read and not just communicating and an, and this information? And an editor can't make that happen. They can soften the edges a little bit, but you you either write that way or you don't. That's true. I, and I think Stephen King in his book on writing talks about, he's like, there are bad writers, okay writers, good writers, and great writers. He's like, nobody goes from good to great. The great ones are just born. Mm-hmm. Very few bad ones go from bad to okay because mm-hmm. the bad ones either just don't care or don't have the ability. Yep. Most people can go from okay to good with the right amount of work. Mm-hmm. But that's the work that most people don't want to put in. Or they're just trying to be, again, trying to be prolific instead of instead of being good. great. Right. Yeah. And and so, yeah, I think it, it always stood out to me. I mean, I think the first time I read Russ Ramsey's stuff, so mm-hmm. friend of the podcast, guest on the podcast, mm-hmm. so read his book, um, is it Behold the King? Yes. No. Um, no. Nope. The nope, Christmas nope. one. Um it changed. It changed titles recently, and yeah, I can't remember the name. Yeah, they split it up into into a couple different books, well, he, right? So no, the Advent one stayed the same. It okay. was Andrew Peterson did a. It was uh, uh, Behold the Lamb. Behold the Lamb. Yeah, Behold the King was was the the Lent one. Um, so I read the Behold Lamb, and I just thought this this is a brilliant mm-hmm. uh, exploration of a familiar text. Mm-hmm. And he did it in a way that that was freshly written. And so reading things like that, when I read articles by like Lori Wilbert, yes, formerly Lori Ferguson, yes, um, she writes about often very commonplace aspects of life, whether it's grief or sadness or singleness or marriage or whatever, just these things that are part of life. Which there's a billion articles on those, but again, she the way she writes folds the reader into the article better. Right. And, and so those are contemporary writers, peers of mine, mm-hmm. who I look at and I go, I want to learn how to write like them. Right. They, they're great writers. Yes. Um, Scarlett Hiltabidal, who listens to this, also is on here. The way that she writes, just she uses humor in her writing better than most Christian writers that I'm aware of by, by a fair margin because mm-hmm. humor tends to be kind of – Stilted. Well, that's the thing, and right? And so she she does it in a way that again makes you, it just makes the reading experience enjoyable, yeah. as opposed to sort of like set up set up punchline slapsticky kind of you know Big Bang Theory humor. That's an insult to the worst TV show uh, of recent years. But um, <laughs> that I mean, so yeah. those are writers currently who, when I read their stuff, whether it's an article or or, or a full book, mm-hmm. I just go that. I want to incorporate what they do into right. my work. How do how do they use humor? How do they use narrative? How do they use analogy? How do, what's their tone? What's mm-hmm. their t- and not to emulate them, but just to learn pieces of the craft. Right, right. Who who do you look at that 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 are your con- oh, your contemporaries? Man. Gosh, in any in any just across the, contemporaries. Yeah. Oh man. I mean, contemporaries mean okay. writing today. So yeah, it, yeah, it can be yeah. a super famous person. I listed people I sure. know. That's a, you sure. Know, but I mean. I mean, definitely. Like, I mean, I love like anytime, anytime Lori posts a blog post, I'm I'm all over it. When now these days she's basically using Instagram as her blog, and um and I enjoy that too. See, I it's enjoy, a hard place to read. But, I enjoy that less because of the format, not because yeah, of the writing. Right, but I mean, I'll put up with the format. Right, 
to to get the writing. Right. Um, Russ is definitely another another one of those those guys that I just dig how he writes and how he uses words. Yeah. Um, and he writes about stuff that I don't care about at all, and I read it. So he right. He he would do articles about. He loves art. Yep. Like art history, the stories behind paintings, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So he used to do, he did a whole series of social media posts, but he used to do articles on that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I don't care at all yeah. about like, it's just not a hobby of mine, but I would read it because he found it so interesting and wrote it so well that it was, it was captivating. Right. Um, you know, going, uh, going, a, you know, kind of a little bit all over the place. There's a uh, comic book writer named Tom King, who I just, I love the way he puts together a story. Yeah. He it's, it's very, it's very thoughtful. It's very interesting what he does. I know you don't like, you don't care for his work, but I really like Neil Gaiman's work. Um, it's, it's again, it's, I don't. It's just different. I dislike Neil Gaiman's stories. Okay, not his, not his writing. Right. So when he writes a story that I like, so he did um, Norse mythology, mm-hmm. which I is fantastic. It. I loved it. Yeah. It's it's just that it his when he imagines a story, mm-hmm. uh, my imagination does not jive with his, and I don't dig the stories. It's, right. So it's not his writing; it's the it's the stories themselves. Got it. Got Which it. I don't. I guess that's not really a compliment, but it is to say that <laughs> it's I. It's a bit I, of a backhanded one. But so. I mean, it, it 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 it's not an insult of his work right. as a writer. You recognize the quality. It's right. just what he writes doesn't click with you. Yeah. Yeah, and that's fair. Brad uh, Brad Meltzer is a. Uh, he is a he's a novelist who does a lot of action thriller or mystery thriller kind of kind of novels, um, mm-hmm. and his stuff is just it's just really well told, really well executed, very enjoyable. Um, Charles Soule is another guy like that who is both who ha- is a novelist, comic book writer, and a lawyer. Hmm. Bold. <laughs> so. Um, so stuff like that. It's, yeah. It's just there are people that, and there, and some of them, it's like there are even people that I can look at their work and it's like there are people who are objectively better than them from a skill set yeah. wise. But I just like how they write and like they know how to use a, how to hook you in and well, and that's and, yeah, and, and do and all this kind of stuff. Which is, I mean, that's indicative of how important it is to to try to read more widely mm-hmm. because. If I recommend you a book, I mean, we've shared, we all share books on this podcast all the time. And occasionally there's one that we all just love. Yes. Oftentimes there's one that Aaron loves and Barnabas does not, or Barnabas loves and Aaron does not. And I don't think that's indicative of either of us having poor taste as much as just we connected with these things differently. You're going to, you're going to read something and be kind of mesmerized by it that I would read and go, I don't get it. Right. Exactly. I don't care. Yeah. And that's fine. Um, but, but when it comes to moving us to writing, I think that's even more important. Have you, what do you think of, I mean, do you, do you ever imitate writers or what is it about writing that you try to sort of fold into your own work? Is it an imitation of something or is it a... Do you study how they do turns of phrase? Is it plot devices? Like, I mean, obviously there's yeah. a lot going on genre-wise there too. Yeah, what, do yeah. you, what do you see? What are you looking for? And then how? what do you do with it? So I would say early on, um, like really early on, there would be a lot more derivative kind of, kind of writing, a little bit more like trying to imitate mm-hmm. versus 
trying to figure out what how I want to say something. Um, and that's actually um, just as a side note, that's one of the beautiful things about about blogging as an option for writers. Right. Is it, it's a even though it's a public, it can be a, a very public space to do it. It's also a really safe space to figure out what your voice should be. It's especially safe because most blogs don't ever get read by anybody. Well, that's true. That's Low true. risk. Nah, that's true. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but but it is one of those things, right, that is, is just like everyone kind of starts off ripping off people a little bit. And yeah. um, the question is, can you move past that? And how quickly can you move past that? I mean, you see it with preachers too, and especially young, you know, young pastors who are always trying to sound like, you know, whoever is their their preacher hero. And um, again, preacher hero should not exist, but they do. It's true. But it, but it is one of those things, right? That it's like they they recognize that that there are these things that appeal to them and so they try to incorporate that into their cadences and writer and we all do this as writers too but um but then we also get to quickly realize whether or not those things actually feel right coming from us do you think people do that because it appeals to them or do you think they do it because they just go oh that's what good writing is so i will write or preach or whatever exactly like so and so um i'm gonna say yes okay so it's a little bit of both um for some people and and i think this is where you know you talked about that spectrum of Bad writers, okay writers, good writers, great writers. Right. That's kind of that differentiating point between um, an okay writer who can go to good, yeah, um, or potentially even right up toward great. I think you can. I think you can get there. Like you can. You can learn. Like if you've got the if you've got the if you've got the gifts for it, you either start off. You might start off okay, and eventually get there. Um, but they're being great or they're being good. Great. I disagree. I don't know. I mean, I, I think, I think this falls on the, in the argument of like, you can be anything you want to be. And I think for some, I just think it's not true. Well, and and I'm right there with you. And I mean, I would put you you and me in the category of like, we're, we're, we're never going to be great writers. No. No. Even even if we were full time writers and all we did was work on the craft, we might have great paragraphs right. or great chapters. Maybe maybe something. I would say we're good writers. I I sure hope so. That's, I mean, I mean, I'm trying to be. And you know, when we had when we had Karen on mm-hmm. a few episodes ago, I appreciated so much her candor about like I think I'm a good writer. Like I think I'm good at this. Yes, I found that encouraging because I was like, it's. Especially in the Christian world, it's so much easier to just be like, you know, just trying to use my gifts or whatever instead of being yeah. like, I think I'm actually good at this. Right. And it, um, it's false humility to say, oh, I'm just, like that statement you made, oh, I'm just trying to use it. Downplaying I mean, it's, is – It <sighs> might be true, but yeah, it's, it's – but it's, it, it's not – there's, ac- there's accuracy in just yeah. saying like, yes, I think we are good writers. Yeah. I don't think we'll ever be great writers. Um, just – again, just because mm-hmm. I think – there's a reason why certain works just transcend. Yes. And that I mean and notice I, all the people I've listed as people who made me want to write are not the transcendent ones. Mm-hmm. I love reading transcendent writers. We talk about them all the time in terms of novels. So we yeah. think Leifanger is the best. We think right. Frederick Bachman is the best, you know. Honestly, I think C.S. Lewis is as a writer Something that that Christian writers and thinkers can aspire to, because stylistically yeah. he is not transcendent. Yes, what was transcendent about him is that he knew 
all like every classic work of literature, multiple mm-hmm. languages, and was an apologist and a theologian. Right. And so I mean, he there was, was a, a genius. There was a, there was a sort of an omniglot factor there yeah. that that was that m- most of us will never achieve. Yeah. Um, so he could draw on those different things. Chesterton, I think, is more on the transcendent side of things. I would agree with that. Just his weaving together of wit and argument. Right. But again, I read that and I go. I don't know that I could I, ever yeah, do that. Yeah, I don't that. think I could do that. But it's worth studying right. his – how he uses humor. Right. How he insults people. Yes. And I don't say that tongue-in-cheek. Like there's a way that he insults people that is not demeaning. Mm-hmm. It's more like as if they were in the room and he's throwing his arm around them, insulting their perspective and then giving him a chance to speak kind of thing. There's there's just a – there's sort of a good-natured camaraderie to it. Yeah. Which is very hard to do in print because usually what you intend to come through doesn't come through when you're poking fun or making jokes. Correct. Um, trying to think of other just Christian writers who I don't I'm, I'm, hmm. and and also just thinking about the question that I asked you about how do you use this stuff I don't ever right. imitate right. on purpose. Well, and, and yeah, I'm sure I sound like somebody at some point. Right. But to me, imitation is the sincerest form of plagiarism. Well, no, it's it's the sincerest form <laughs> of it's the sincerest form of an insecure writer. Right. I've never wanted to sound like anybody else. Right. I haven't intentionally tried to sound different, mm-hmm. but just but more look at it and go, how did they like? How does Malcolm Gladwell create an, a, a nonfiction narrative? Mm-hmm. I don't always agree with how like the points he ends up at or doesn't end up at because sometimes he misses a point altogether. Yeah. But he can write a compelling 300-page narrative about two or three plot lines around various data points. Mm-hmm. Like, that's fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. Or the authors that I've mentioned previously, like how what 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 is their tone? How are they doing this? How are they? Sometimes they break rules and it works really well. Like yeah. they use way too many adjectives. Yep. Okay, well, sometimes that works. Why does it work sometimes and other times? Nicholas Sparks. It sounds like the worst <laughs> trash writing ever. That's a preview for a future episode, ladies Absolutely. and gentlemen. Um, Good plugging. Good job. Yeah. So those kinds of things are – it's not so much imitation as it is learning from other people's skills, mm-hmm. I think. I don't know. Is yeah. that is that kind of how you treat it? Generally, yeah. Like – I, if anything, I go out of my way to not sound like someone that I, that I like and respect. Like, so mutual friend, Jared Wilson, Mm -hmm. he is, he's another objectively good Christian writer. Yeah. Largely because he reads so much. Well, he reads a ton and he writes a ton. So he's getting, there's a lot of, there's a lot of input and a lot of, and a lot of practice and output. Right. And so only he can sound like him. Ray Ortland, he he is night. He's, he's his own kind of something. Yeah, he's he's unique. He would be a time will tell how well his. I mean, Ray's biggest weakness mm-hmm. is not his writing, but his publicity. Right. Meaning, Ray doesn't promote Ray. Correct. One of the many reasons that he's wonderful. Yes, his work deserves greater respect than it has, and I. Time will tell, but I think it will it will fall more into that great writer transcendent category mm-hmm. because of the way that he can very simply, um, accessibly 
invite people into profound truths while also smacking them in the face mm-hmm. as needed in yep. sort of in a corrective fashion and hugging them like the, his so his commentary on proverbs i say commentary really it's sort of a just a look at the themes of wisdom in proverbs so it's commentary-ish but much anybody could read it yeah. it's not yeah. it's not it's a technical thing the Proverbs one is short. Is that his, short? I, his Isaiah oh. one is enormous. Yes. That but said, still, so is Isaiah. So beautiful. Yeah. And and his book, you know, the gospel is the same way mm-hmm. about gospel culture and church. Yeah, he's he's one that I look at and I go, I don't think I can do what he does. <laughs> and even trying to and if I was to and if I was to try to do what he does, all I would do is imitate. I think mm-hmm. that's the difference between somebody who's helping you be a better writer. Mm-hmm. And somebody who's at that category you can't do. Like, right. So for the basketball fans who are listening, Kobe Bryant was a great basketball player. But when he came into the league, you could tell he was just imitating Michael Jordan. Sure. Mannerisms, voice, et cetera. And, and, and it, was, it always was a little bit annoying. Right. It was when Kobe just played like Kobe that he was, he was at his best. And so it, there's sort of that aspect of it is like I – I want to look at people who are good and say how I want to learn how they do the things that they do that are that are better than I do. Right. And then I look at somebody like Ray and I'm like, I don't want to learn how Ray does what Ray does. I just want to read what Ray does. Right. And I think I think it it'll influence my mind and it'll influence creativity. I think the other aspect is I think reading as a writer is more formative on a cumulative basis mm-hmm. than a case by case basis. I'd agree with that. So rather than studying how, it's more just sort of the the blend of flavors you get by reading all the time in a wide variety of, right. of genres and authors and styles. Right, exactly, which would be a good reason to advocate for uh, for seminaries to add a proper English class or a proper reading appreciation yeah, or like program the, or something the, like, like that. Uh, I think Biola – at the undergrad level has a like a classics or a mm-hmm. great was it great books or great ideas yeah something like that at the undergrad level yeah if i'm talking were, i'm talking right grad, ma, grad school level that's a major though if they had if they had a master's degree in that or incorporated that into mm-hmm. an mdiv mm-hmm. or something i realize all seminaries are trying to make everything shorter these days sure so that more people can do them and do them online and whatever but absolutely i mean yeah. i think making you know Making a making a, a future pastor read Great Expectations or mm. the Diaries of Anne Frank or whatever would yeah. be Virgil Wander. <laughs> yeah, throwing yeah. some something contemporary yeah. would be amazing. Like, yeah. Okay, let's keep it simple. The Great Gatsby. It's like 120 pages. Yeah, you can knock this out. But yeah, yeah, mix in mix in a little of that with your Stanley Hauerwas or whatever. Yeah, it might give them a little bit of joy and uh, help us all out. Or a little bit of misery. Which they probably need, if because if they hate reading fiction, there's something wrong with them anyway. That's something true. deeply, deeply wrong with people who don't like fiction. I don't know. I don't know they, it's like they didn't get enough hugs as a kid or something. Well, there, there's many reasons for that. Although on, on an encouraging note, uh, my wife actually started reading started reading fiction. Again. Is that she just never did? She has for many years has kind of held it back because facts were safer and so the emotional engagement was hard for for her on that perspective oh that's yeah. i mean that's a true statement yeah. yeah and it's an understandable reason to be reluctant to read fiction yeah also 
indicative of why fiction is awesome. Correct. Correct. Because I'm. I mean, so. you. Neither you nor I are very feely people. I feel ways about stuff. Right. I mean, that's not to say we don't have feelings, but yeah. neither of us are, are gushers. No, no. We're not, you know. I mean, except for when we're kind of angry. That's not so much. That's more volcanic. <laughs> um, but but fiction is a way to tap into the subtleties of emotion and the depths of it and those kinds of things in a way that for, you know. It's like, a safe way for us not, to feel not, things. Yeah, we're not writing. We're not writing romance novels. We're not writing sonnets. We're not writing whatever with any regularity, at least mm-hmm. not for publication. No. I don't know what you write in your own diary or well, journal. Well, and, I have been working on a, on a romance novel set in the 1950s. Really? Yeah. No. Is it a novel with romance in it or is it a romance novel? Those are two different things. <laughs> well, that depends. Uh, that depends. Uh, my, my real goal is, is just to write something better than uh, Nicholas Sparks did. The bar's pretty low there, though. He's, he's the worst famous writer I have ever read. All right. That's a preview for, for our next episode, everybody. <laughs> I, I'm speechless at how. Never mind. <laughs> All right. Save it. We got to save it. We got to save it. He's not somebody I'll be imitating. Let's put it that no, way. No, no. I wouldn't mind imitating his sales, however. <laughs> we could absolutely imitate his sales. His his uh, his advance, I'd love to imitate that. Yes, I would like to imitate it. I would like my next publisher to imitate it, actually. Yes, I don't want to have anything. Correctly. I would just like yes. to receive it. Yes. All right. Uh, so, but on that note, um, do you think this is a good place for us to wrap up this conversation? We should probably land this thing. All you right. and I can ramble about writing for days, but I don't That's know that true. listeners want to be part of that. Well they're going to be part of it anyway so it's fine uh all right so barnabas what are you reading right now oh shoot i forgot about that question yeah um or do you I, want to punch someone besides nicholas sparks <laughs> goodness <laughs> yes him um i am reading well i just finished um beach music by okay. pat conroy nice so pat conroy's come up as sort of a, a theme because i mentioned previously that he was one of my favorite authors been reading through pretty much all of his novels mm-hmm. and i read it 10 years ago, maybe. And I recall it being not one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. But in rereading it, I I enjoyed it a lot more than I did previously. Yeah. I think because there are, there are so many themes of pain and loss and how those are like have gotten handed down from generation to generation. So the book is about two or three different families in a coastal town in South Carolina. That's mm-hmm. a constant in Conroy's stuff. Like low country South Carolina is his, is his muse. Um, but there, one of the families had survived the Holocaust before coming over to the United States and finding their way to South Carolina. One of them was sort of deep roots in the area. Mm-hmm. There's issues of class. There's issues of race. There's issues of Holocaust loss, suicide, the there's always just emotionally torn up people in his books but Mm -hmm. he somehow makes emotionally torn up people lovable and compelling even while sometimes you kind of want to choke him right it's he's just brilliant Mm. and uh he's also one of the best describers of Feeling and place. Yeah, th- that I have read. Nice. I think Steinbeck might describe places better than anybody I've ever read, mm-hmm. but Conroy's right up there. Nice. So, beach music is what I just wrapped it up, and uh, yeah, it was pretty phenomenal. Very cool. Very cool. Well, I uh, I was at uh, one of our favorite one of our shared favorite stores, uh, McKay's, over the weekend, and uh, I, I bought been the, there in a while. I, I bought the Great Santini. So good choice. So I'm looking forward to reading that. But uh, 
Yeah, I uh, I finished two books over the weekend. I'm nice. very excited about that. So uh, one was The Oracle Year by Charles Soule. Um, so the uh, who I mentioned just a mm-hmm. little while ago, um, the big idea of that book is it's about a guy named uh, Will who um, wakes up and realizes he knows the future. Hmm. And he no, but not everything about the future, but he's got like a hundred and some odd specific things he knows are going to happen. And it's, it's really a story of what he does with that and how it is all working, working together. It is, um, it's very, very engaging, very enjoyable. Um, it's, does it work? It works. It's, it's, I I find that like time related, like when you're talking about messing with time, it almost always breaks at some point. So they can still be very right. enjoyable. But even like like think Avengers Endgame. Right. Spoiler alert. There's some time-related things in there. And like they never quite work. Well, but see here, there's no time travel that's in it or anything like but that. He's messed, it's just, but if you know the future, then you can mess with the future. And that's really what's the wrestle in the story is how is it that if I know the future, can I change the future? And the answer keeps coming back as no. But how is it that I'm doing – how is it that the things that I'm doing are um, exactly what are need to happen that I am choosing to do? Um, are but are yet the same are yet are all the things that are required to make these prophecies come true. So, and it's, so, so it's essentially the age old question of like human free will versus fate or exact, God sovereignty. Although I doubt he's coming from a God sovereignty perspective. No, he's not. But there is a there is this. But that wrestle is very prominent throughout okay. the book, um, and it's fascinating to see him writing writing that um, and. N- he can't get to the answer because there's not really an answer to that question that we can comprehend anyway. I mean, the answer is yes. That, you know, like from the Christian perspective, right, is God is entirely completely sovereign over all things he knows beginning to end. Mm -hmm. He has orchestrated all of it. And yet everything we do counts. And the Bible doesn't try to reconcile it and we shouldn't either. (laughs) <laughs> so uh, so that's one book. Uh, the other one is called uh, The Book of Fate by uh, Brad Meltzer. Um, and so it's got a great – it just has a fantastic opening hook. And uh, so the first line is, six minutes from now, one of us would be dead. None of us knew it was coming. That's not bad. That's a good hook. Yeah. It's a good hook. I liked it. Um, it but, you know, it's, 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 a, it's just a good thr- – it's just a good mystery thriller. Book, uh, lots of fun. Um, it was a it was a good two day two day read. So, um, so yeah. And uh, for more of a professional development read, I am um, actually listening to "Dare to Lead" by Brene Brown in the car. Oh Lord, I made it two chapters through that one and gave up. All right, <laughs> it, it Brene Brown is one of the most compelling speakers I have ever heard. Mm-hmm. Her books. Should have all just been talks. All right. Well, it's her reading. It's her. It's her doing the narration. So that probably would be better than actually reading it. It's super yeah. repetitive when you read, and there's just the same phrases over and over right. and over again. Got it. All right. Well, I'll let you know how it goes. All right. And then I'll find the the TED talk and find out if it should be uh, 
should have just been that. She's an awesome talker. She's a great communicator. I mean, whether it's a, a, you know, yeah, that 17-minute yeah, yeah. TED Talk or the 40-minute like the kind of full yeah, presentation, yeah, yeah. she's wonderful yeah. at that. Yeah. Cool. All right. Uh, well, uh, that takes care of everything for today. So good chatting about uh, about writing and books that we want that made us want to write more. And uh, yeah, uh, listeners, thanks for hanging out with us. Do leave your since your sincere or not because we really don't care. Uh, five star rating and review. The funnier, the better. In all honesty, if uh, but don't imitate. No, they, it's got to uh, be. It's got to be from the en- heart. Enough about '80s rockers and dwarf hamsters. We got that one already. That's right. It's covered. Switch it up. Yeah. Um, no mocking Canadians, because if it's five stars, I don't care if you mock a Canadian. Well, okay. You, well, mock they, any, you can mock any of us for five stars. That's true. Okay. Just try to do better than the one that's on there, because Brandon Smith really did not bring his A game to that. So. Does he ever? <sighs> that's a great question. I feel like he's always holding back. Mm-hmm. Or maybe that's the best he can do. Maybe. Who knows? Anyway. Um, all right. Uh, so thanks for listening. We'll catch you later. Bye. This is an Area Code podcast.